0: I think that was extremely good. Welcome <laughs> to the Popcorn Brothers. I saved Latin. What did you ever do? Isaac, how was your week?
1: Uh, it's been pretty good. I think we should That's start good. by apologizing, I guess, for the last I, episode and I explain that our this. clapping, our clapping is, or whatever just happened a minute ago, is in an, an attempt to make sure that our tracks line up. We're still yeah. working out the kinks of this online podcasting
0: yeah reconciling the fact that we're now on the free version of Zencaster to attempt to record this podcast has created issues I did not foresee and this time they will be lined up I will ensure it and we will make it happen so yeah get ready to listen to it as it's supposed to sound uh anyways got a lot to do this week so we'll be starting with our discussion of Black Klansmen. I have been waiting so long to talk about this, and I'll get into that in a minute. Actually,
1: for real though, like a long time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so hopefully you have to you'll have to remind me a little bit of things because like I have my opinion, but I like can't remember it as granularly as I would like to. Anyways, we'll be following that up with our trailer watch this week with What Men Want, the new spin on the classic Mel Gibson film, and last but not least, we'll be watching one of my favorite movies of all time, easily in the top ten, Wes Anderson's Rushmore. So, whew, anything you want to say before we get going?
1: Not uh, other than that, I guess. No?
0: Okay, cool. Let's jump I'm on so in. I'm so helpful, I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do it. So, Black Klansman Isaac, as an introduction, what I just wanted to say... I saw this movie at an early screening at Opry Mills. I signed an NDA. I am now clear of that NDA as the movie has been released. I remember it specifically from the contract. But we saw this movie as a pre-screening, It was an, an open pre-screening. I think you could just attend as long as you got there early enough. And you were immediately followed with the end of the movie with a a fairly long like survey on your opinions about like the characters and the themes and what it said and how much you liked it and how you felt about the current presidential. Is it uh, like a,
1: was cabinet. it like a fill out survey?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like they oh, gave it okay. their own pencils and you weren't supposed to leave until you turned it in and
1: oh wow it was like
0: it was about yeah the the state of our government and like what we felt about the movie and like really specific scenes and like what you gathered from them and oh that's
1: real interesting I I wish that I had gotten like the chance to do that because that's really cool sounding but
0: yeah it was very cool but also I think deeply flawed in some ways that system and we'll talk about it after we talk about the movie because it's important to know what the movie's about a little bit before we jump into that so isaac you just saw it if you can give like a little plot summary or maybe a long plot summary and then we'll talk about how we felt about it
1: um well black klansman is about it's the story of ron stanfill who was the first african-american police officer in the colorado springs police department And he basically set up this undercover operation where he went, he posed as a person who was interested in being a part of the KKK, the local KKK chapter, Klu Klux Klan chapter. Um, And him and another person, because the other guy who was white had to pretend to be Ron Stanfill when he went to the meetings and met the people face to face and the real Ron did most of the phone conversations. It seems like, and a lot of the Intel, like the early getting like calling them and letting them know they were interested and all that stuff. And then, um, it sort of comes to a head because it seems like their local chapter is planning some sort of, uh, attack, I guess it's kind of like a terrorist attack, some sort of bombing type thing. Um, and so they have to try to stop that too. Um, yeah, it's like them... That's mostly them. the story, yeah.
0: Yeah, they infiltrate they're infiltrating both like the local black college group, right? Uh, I can't remember the name of the group. It's been so long. And then also the KKK at the same time and you're getting like the picture of both sides and the KKK is planning that attack on the college group members in the small town. So. Yeah, okay. That's a I think that's a really good summary. Um it's a this movie has a lot of things. So I'm not sure talking about the plot really explains that it goes between being like a drama to a comedy to a a political straight up. (laughs) I don't even know. Like there's scenes where they break off from the story into like, what seems like just purely comedy to like the main dramatics to focusing on the probably close to real life historical elements to just like throwing in stories that don't necessarily relate to the movie itself but are about the message that the movie is trying to get across did you notice that Isaac, what what
1: scenes did you feel like we're doing that i'm also very interested though because theoretically we don't know it's possible that we watched like very different versions of the movie because they could have
0: oh that's totally
1: changed true. things because i didn't ever feel like any of the scenes were extraneous i would say or that they didn't directly relate to what was going on for the most part
0: Was there not the scene where the old man was telling the story to all the people about like um, what had happened in the town a long time ago?
1: Yeah. But how could Yeah. But that's, that had to do with the rest of the movie. I feel like,
0: (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I, so it's been, (laughs) well,
1: I will tell you though, was it intercut with like a David Duke story or one of the stories from the KKK people?
0: I don't, I don't believe so, but it might. Because have.
1: that's really interesting because uh, that scene, they it was two different people telling two different stories and they intercut back and forth between them when I saw that scene.
0: Huh, maybe so. It might have, maybe that was done differently for the showing that I saw, but it's also, it's been so long since I've seen it. Now.
1: But theoretically, I mean, uh, if we're discussing your experience too, you literally did go see this movie in a like work in progress fashion. Like they were still working on it, I'm sure. And I'm sure they changed some things based on the reactions that people at your screening gave. So it's really interesting that, yeah, yeah. it's like we, and like, we didn't necessarily see the same movie and it really speaks to the idea that all of that stuff matters. You know, a lot of people, when they go to see a movie, don't think about if you saw this scene before this scene and how it affects everything. But I mean, every shot that the camera has, when the shots change and all of that stuff, what scene comes before this one or what even shot comes before the next, all of that stuff makes a huge difference. So, and it affects the way that the audience will read the film. So, it's really interesting that you, we probably saw different versions basically so we might have different feelings on certain things
0: yeah because i'm i definitely in my mind treat it as the final so i need to i need to rewatch this movie because i'm sure i will like notice things that are different even from like only like, the little bit that i remember since i had to wait so long to see it again but they're definitely to me like everyone has been raving about how good this is and how it's a return to form and when i saw it i enjoyed watching the movie but i felt like it was sloppy in a way that like, I wouldn't go back and see it again. Like I felt like the message, like they strive to accomplish a message. I mean, this is obvious. Like the end of the movie was cut with the real footage, right? That's, that's what you got. And yes. They, well, you're spoiler party
1: alerting party. here. So let's oh, Okay. Well, not, tread. I don't want to tread lightly because that is an important aspect. So I think we should talk about it, but you should just, we should warn people that because if you like, I will say that I felt colored by the fact that, like, I felt like my, uh, opinion was kind of, I expected those scenes at the end. Yeah. So I don't know what my react, my reaction, I felt like would have been a lot different if I didn't know those scenes were coming than the fact that I already knew because you had told me that they were.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's basically what I want to talk about. We don't have to say anything else about that in particular. other than that Sure. Sure. We don't have to say like what they happens. are. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, no. But imagine being at an early screening of this movie, not having any knowledge on what it was going to be about realistically at all, watching the movie, seeing those scenes, and then being handed a survey asking you how you felt positively or negatively about the rest of the movie and like what it meant to you. And it just seemed so like... I, I thought that was going to be something that they took out and that it was just a social experiment and that it wasn't going to be in the final cut because they just wanted to... I thought they just wanted to do that. You know what I mean? And it seemed, like really, it seemed really like... Like, how are you supposed to rate anything negatively when you're in such a terrible emotional state after having to like witness that footage uh, basically against your own will? Like, I don't think I think it's good for people to see that. And I'm glad that it's in the movie. But I think the survey process that we are given with the way the movie is, is flawed because of that, because there's no way you could have the same opinion of what they actually made about the movie versus how you feel about real life just like juxtaposing your opinion there like for me it was hard it was hard to talk about the rest of it after that because well and about the movie that i liked and didn't like like i don't like how they portrayed like okay so racist people are absolutely awful and these this is a true story about these awful people that did these awful things and it's completely insane and i i it makes me emotional and angry but they also portrayed them as like bumbling idiots in a way that makes it seem like, you know, like just like poking fun parody and not so much like a serious effort combined with a serious effort. You know what I mean?
1: Um, I kind of see that. I didn't ever, well, and of course, the comparison to is sort of, I think that they did a pretty decent, I didn't think, I mean, they weren't like, smart about what they were doing i feel like the members of the kkk chapter who were planning this thing but also to me it didn't i mean bumbling idiots is a little like that's a little more than i thought it just showed them as like they're average people they're not people who are trained in doing any of this stuff but i'll never think that they were bumbling idiots because the way that oh brother where art thou portrayed the kkk people i felt like was way like more even more so than that but that's totally true. It's interesting. I don't think I could take a survey right after a movie because I like to digest what I've seen and think about it for even a few days before I really like make solid decisions. But yeah, 100%. I thought, I think that, again, I have to come from this place of, you told me that those scenes at the end were coming, so I expected them. So when I was watching the movie, I feel like I had a better idea of what the movie was trying to say on its own anyway with the idea that I knew what was coming at the end. Yeah. so but I think that the move I think that having those scenes be a surprise just hammers home the point that you're already supposed to have gotten from the rest of it but I mean it was emotional I was emotional sitting there watching those l- scenes even though I knew they were coming and I it still like kind of caught me off guard in a way because I was it was it's crazy I mean yeah but yeah, I I liked crazy. I actually liked that aspect of it because I It really speaks to the theme of the movie, which I guess I'll just go ahead and say it. But, like, comparing, like, it's trying to say that even though this story is an old story and it took place in the past, don't forget about the fact that it is still going on. And a lot of that stuff is still going on and it's still real and it's still a part of what's happening in our country. So, You know, I mean, that's really the point. So I love actually what Spike Lee does at the end of the movie there. But uh, because I I think you can't ignore it almost. So,
0: so yeah. Okay. So that's that kind of that's a that's a good point to make before I say how I feel about the whole thing, because I do really feel very positively about the message that this movie gives off. And I think it's bold and brave and well-timed and important and like everyone should see it and it is it is hard to watch and it says a lot of things about what you said between the past and the present that are important to note about the way the world is and it's the only way you can move forward is by acknowledging these kind of things and realizing it and acting on it but I do think the actual rest of the movie as far as like sometimes character development a plot development are like kind of like not that strong like I don't ever oh I don't
1: disagree on some of those for sure. I don't,
0: it makes me so mad that they didn't give uh, the girl that ends up being his uh, girlfriend. I guess the girl from the college group. They didn't give her anything. It made me so frustrated to like. Have well, to,
1: like, I mean, she's a peripheral character, so it didn't. That didn't bother me. Her, but she's hers didn't bother me. <laughs> well, but I think you got enough about her from the other scenes. My issue. You're exactly right. To me, the weakest point of this movie is character development at certain times. But my biggest problem was with Ron because I felt like he was almost. I didn't get a lot from him and I didn't know if that, I mean, the character doesn't have any scenes really that sort of shape his character outside of the plot. So I was very, um, I felt separated from him. I didn't, I just didn't get a lot of character from him. Um, And I didn't really feel like I understood the character. I mean, I understood what his motivations were and what he wanted to do, but I didn't connect with him in a, almost like a human way, I guess, because I was, I could understand his, some of his feelings, but I didn't connect to that human part because he didn't ever come off with enough characteristics of his personality, almost maybe. Yeah, um, no, I, on the I, other I, hand, I, that. I thought that uh, Adam Driver was really good, actually. And I, I felt like his character was more, uh, it was kind of weird because it almost felt like sometimes that Adam Driver's character overshadowed Ron. And so that was was kind of confusing because I was like, well, he's supposed to be like the supporting character versus the lead. And I don't know if that's because Adam Driver is actually a really great actor. And maybe the guy that was playing the lead here was sort of out of his league in that regard. But
0: yeah, well, for one thing, um, Adam Driver does do a great job here. I think it's the best I've seen him act and it's a fitting role that didn't make like his very interesting appearance seem like out of place, in my opinion. I don't know mm-hmm. how it worked out, but I guess it was the character he was given and the way he handled it that like went really well over. But just the the whole, the concept of like him, like I didn't expect him to throw in the fact that like he was Jewish and had him like have all the experiences that he had as the cop that went out there. That I, I do feel like that actually like it told more about him almost and like gave him yeah. a lot of the spotlight when he isn't even the character of the story, realistically. The lead, like, I, yeah. don't even know. I don't even know if that happened. That could have all been invented. Like, the Jewish cop being the infiltrator. Like, I know it's a true story. Right. And, like, someone did that, but, like, that could have just been the made-up part. And maybe that's why it seems so insanely movie-like possibly that element sure of the whole thing and why yeah i wondered that place? too
1: at some points i was like because it is based on a true story but at some there were points where i wondered what was sort of sensationalized versus what the actual story was yeah and what but actually all in all, happened in terms of the sense because I, I thought it was pretty crazy at some points too and i was like really you're talking about a police investigation and i don't know that this police investigation would have really been as uh outrageous as the movie made it seem but I don't know. I don't know the real story necessarily. So,
0: yeah, it's something to look into. But I do think that this movie is one of the cooler things to come out, and I think it does its job better than like what Sorry to Bother You tried to do. Oh,
1: absolutely. I thought it was superior to Sorry to Bo- for then Sorry to Bother You. And uh, even though Blind Spotting and this movie are very different, you can't. All of these movies have some similar themes in common. So. But I think I liked this one the best of the three in my opinion, but
0: yeah, okay. I, I'm sure I would think that that goes the same for me. I would I would like to assume that. and I definitely need to watch it again and I'll have an updated opinion then. and I'm willing I'm definitely willing to watch it and interested in watching it again and seeing things that I missed last time or how it changed from that original cut. So yeah, that's all I got to say. Anything else?
1: Yeah? No, I think that's it. We covered most of the stuff I had to say.
0: Yeah, All right, dope. Good talk. I think that was, I think that was excellent. I think everyone, everyone will appreciate this. One. I hope other people <laughs> think so.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, we definitely didn't spoiler alert it. That was totally my bad. So if someone was, uh...
1: <laughs> well, we talked someone around it. It's not too like it wasn't too.
0: I mean, at this point, mm-hmm. if anyone, you know, has seen it, that probably has come up in conversation. I can't imagine oh, yeah. someone seeing it and not talking about that or like hinting towards that. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, yeah,
0: there's a big part at the end of this movie. Like, that's got to come up if, like, anyone has seen it as telling their friends about it. Anyways, I think that's enough for this week. So, as we do every week, you hear a sound and we watch a trailer. This week, we have the What Men Want trailer. If you're driving, don't stop driving. If you're not driving, get on your phone, get on your iPad, get on your PC. Pull up Movie Clips trailers on YouTube.com and pull up the What Men Want trailer number one. We are going to take it away and watch it, and when we come back, we will give you our thoughts. On your mark, get set, go. Perfect. That was amazing. We're so good at this. All right, we are (laughs) back. We just watched the What Men Want trailer number one, and I have to say... Of the movies, I guess this is like the the it was Girls Trip, and another movie is by the same producers or company. Oh, I, I don't
1: like, know, I but, didn't pay any attention to that. Okay, aspect, well, but, there's I mean, two other
0: movies that have come out from this company that are like black female led comedies, I uh-huh. believe. This one looks by far the funniest to me. I think this looks hilarious. I would totally. Get it
1: to looks see. pretty funny. Um, I. I think it's interesting that they took that concept from the Mel Gibson movie. But my problem is the problem to me with this one is that. So the reason that Mel Gibson learned how to read thoughts in the first one was that he didn't respect women. So, like, it was an internal change, like, character change that he needed to go through. But in this one, it's kind of strange to me because it doesn't seem like the Tarashi P. Henson character is the one that needs to change. It's like the people around her need to change. So I'm, it's an interesting idea, I guess in that regard, I don't really know what they're going to do with it in that respect. I think I I like,
0: I think I like how it creates the dynamic where she speaks out about their thoughts and like gets to confront them on their thoughts. Yeah. with her side as opposed to you know like how it is in the opposite where like right. the person that was disrespecting became respectful and able to read thoughts i think this is a more interesting dynamic that'll create situations between the characters that i think would be really funny and really interesting to see how they wrote so well
1: it is it's also funny because even though this is supposed to be like the opposite it's still the same like message yeah, in, totally. in that like men don't respect women and they need to <laughs>
0: yeah yeah it is it's interesting it's curious it seems like I don't know it seems like it's gonna be good some of it seemed like a little bit cheesy like when she when she hits her head in the dance floor area that's like that I was like I was like oh no well let's not get it slapstick
1: let's not get it twisted what women want is a little bit cheesy at various points too so (laughs) I
0: haven't haven't seen it I haven't seen it so I can't you
1: should watch it it's actually really good now I want to go watch it (laughs) (laughs) because I love that movie I think it's really good actually but
0: Okay, cool. But I do
1: think it'll at least be entertaining because I think that Taraji P. Henson is really entertaining and she can do something with anything, even if it's not really that great. So yeah, fair. She's keeping Empire afloat, I would argue, so. (laughs) Nice.
0: All right. uh, Well, yeah, I mean, I'm going to go see it and I think it looks really good. Uh, Yeah, I don't really have anything else to say about it. Obviously, it's not going to be super deep you know is a it's a pretty light-hearted it's a popcorn thing. flick
1: nothing's wrong with that
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and that's it looks to be a good one so that's pretty cool all right you good oh yeah all right good let's move on into what will be a contentious <laughs> discussion about the quality of les anderson's classic stored in the archives correct isaac
1: Yes, I just read that it's already been selected into the National Film Registry. So
0: In the National Film Registry, the movie Rushmore. Okay, so where do we start these things normally?
1: I don't know. This is your movie, so you get to do whatever you want with it. <laughs> <laughs> you get to All lead right. the discussion here.
0: All right, well, we start. I think we start with background and production. But I'll give a little overview here, just a one-sentence kind of... What Rushmore is, I would say that is a comedy with meticulous and subtle scenes of pathos. That is a conglomeration of some things that doesn't I read sound online. like something you wrote. <laughs> oh, it's a conglomeration of things I read online that are okay. all really good words, and I think very well describe it. And I did not write it. I I used multiple sources to come up with that. So, anyways, a little bit of background in production. So, this is the first time we have talked about Wes Anderson at least seen one of his movies on this podcast. And I think that's a really big deal as an indie film fan. I um, have a particular appreciation for Wes Anderson, who's kind of like an auteur in ways, tends to work with the same people and do things a lot of the same ways and mix it up. And he recently just released Isle of dogs, which I have not seen, but looked interesting, but I think plays into some of the problems in Wes Anderson's style and legacy that I'll discuss later on in the themes of this movie. And Isle of Dogs is a great comparator to why I think Rushmore is the peak of Wes Anderson's filmmaking and what makes him so, I don't know, what makes him uh, not as good nowadays. That's how I'm going to put it. Okay, Okay. so – a little more background: Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson co-wrote this movie. They wanted to write what was a Roald Doll style story. What are some Roald Doll books, Isaac? You've oh, that's
1: like Star? Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or okay. the BFG, or um, I think Matilda is a
0: Roald yeah, Doll book do too. James and the Giant Peach? No. Yes. Maybe. Oh, okay, I'm pretty right. sure.
1: Okay.
0: Cool. Okay, so they. Wanted Hopefully, to do that those are
1: right. I'm pretty sure all of those were right.
0: I was never a huge Roald Dahl fan. I think I read Me some of them, but. Yeah. It, anyways, um, they want to do a raw doll style story based on combining unique and interesting experiences from their childhood, their like school times. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, to be particular, Wilson and Anderson both attended like a private high school or middle school. I think it's the high Same school. one. No, no, but oh. they both attended. <laughs> ones. Wilson was kicked out of private school in tenth grade, so that obviously affected like some of the ideas on the movie. And then Anderson consider himself ambitious in everything but academics and had a crush on an older woman for a long time during high school. So Isaac, you have already no, seen. I can see where all of these in. things come into that. <laughs> so yeah, of course. And um, Rushmore here is actually Anderson's alma mater. So it's the school he attended at the time. It's St. John's school in Houston. And um, the high school is the, like the high school he ends up at max in the movie is actually directly across the street and is also a pretty nice high school. So they had to like make it look bad <laughs> on purpose oh, so funny. that it would seem it would seem less like uh, you know upstanding which is cool yeah but um a little bit more about production now so there's some background um the film's widescreen slightly theatrical look was apparently influenced by roman polanski's chinatown have you seen that isaac
1: i've seen chinatown multiple times yeah did you
0: see i don't it under. i voice? mean
1: other than the fact that it's in widescreen i don't really i don't know i have not as I've only seen this movie once, and I haven't seen Chinatown and watched it in regards to looking for that element to, to know why that's significant. Sorry. Okay,
0: so a lot of the movie here is filmed to seem like it's on a theater. Like, other than the facts that are obviously, like, literally them, like, filming a play going on that Max had written or was starting. Uh-huh. They tried to make this movie look like theatrical, like stage work as much as possible. Did you gather that at all? Because I definitely like see that when I watch this. Other than the fact that the curtains like change the month.
1: No, I didn't particularly didn't? notice okay. that. Sorry, okay, that's <laughs> fine. No,
0: it's fine. It's fine. But okay, I but- will say
1: that there's not a lot of camera movement. I wouldn't think.
0: No. Yeah, it's a so lot of it really that makes still sense. Sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think he chooses really interesting angles to frame people like directly on in situations that make it seem more like they're giving like a monologue on a stage or something like that. And I found that really interesting. It's like they're speaking to you in a fourth wall breaky kind of way, even though they're not breaking the fourth wall. Uh, But Mm -hmm. moving on, Anderson also cites that The Graduate and Harold and Maude were cinematic influences. And I definitely see the Harold and Maude influence. Have you seen that, Isaac?
1: Uh, no, I haven't seen that movie, so whatever. That's
0: know. a classic that you can see, but that's fine. So, the movie has a um, what they call a singular sense of color. So, it focuses mainly on blues, greens, and red in order to create a heightened and consistent reality, which is something I definitely noticed in this movie. There isn't like scenes changing hues particularly. Like, even when what they're shooting changes so drastically, like it, during the plays and stuff, there isn't a lot of color change. And that's like, that's something that I don't feel like I see a lot. I feel like it very obviously, most movies now, especially bigger ones, change colors throughout. And so does Wes Anderson does this now. Like it's never as consistent, but uh, I think it's good and it makes the movie look good. So uh, a little bit more about the theatrical bit. It says, I have a quote here says, Anderson shoots all of his films framed flat front as if on stage, hearkening back to the origins of film and the cinema of attractions. At the birth of cinema, cinema theater and film were tightly merged, and Ton Gunning's definition of cinema of attractions refers to the characteristic of non-narrative films of the time beckoning to a spectator's attention by directly addressing them from the screen as if an actor is breaking the fourth wall. So that's kind of what I mentioned earlier, yeah. and I definitely like feel when I watch this movie. So that's, mm-hmm. there's an actual, I guess there's an actual, uh, you know, topic that they give that or a name for that. And then it says, although Anderson's films include a strong narrative, uh, he brings back the attraction aspect of the tradition by staging many of his shots as if presented to a theater audience. The use of the camera gives the effect of a highly stylized and theatrical world, and theatrical here meaning theater. So. Yeah, that's um. I noticed that, and I heavily leaned my production discussion here towards those things about his cinematography that I find really fascinating and really make him me enjoy his movies, even at the ones. Well, that is definitely
1: are not to what they were. It's certainly one of the strongest, uh, definers of Wes Anderson films is the way that he shoots them, for sure, and yeah. sort of the whole think- kind of mood and the way that his actors are the way that he has his actors perform also. All of that is pretty significant to his uh, stamp, I would say.
0: And there's, there's a lot of directors that I appreciate that are able to do a lot of things really well and are like flexible. And then there's a lot of directors that really have their own style and you identify it across them working on different things. I think Wes Anderson is one of the few directors that I like that can always do the same thing and switch it up a little bit, but maintain his unique style that no one else really comes close to so like oh yeah his are anomaly yeah
1: yes his are very unique and nobody else does quite what he does i wouldn't say yeah totally
0: cool um let's see uh i wouldn't call this movie mumblecore you wouldn't call it that right no okay good so there's only a couple other things i have to say about the production background here both brand new and fallout boy have songs titled after quotes from this movie one is sick transit gloria glory fades and the other is tell that mickey just made my list of things to do today and then lastly 1800 actors tried out for the role of max and schwartzman met uh anderson at a party ended up becoming friends with him and being chosen to play it even though wes anderson didn't feel like he fit it properly so they reworked the role to fit uh, what they both agreed on would be good for the new direction of max after they met at a party
1: that's pretty interesting Which is,
0: i think i think that is interesting i don't know if i've ever heard of a role having 1800 people try out for it for i mean such I, a like, small budget movie I right. guess it happens all the time but i wouldn't I be surprised
1: but yeah that's a lot of people to audition
0: that's crazy i mean think about i can't I don't know if I've ever seen 1,800 actors in my life. You know <laughs> I'm what sure I mean? you that's have. <laughs> a, but that's a lot of actors. Like, think about how many movies you've watched in the last year and the total, like, you know, I mean, considering like lead and supporting roles, not extras, that you've actually seen. Like, eighteen hundred is a lot. Infinity yeah. war really bumped my number, but <laughs> it's crazy. So, anyways, alright, we can move on from that. That's about all I want to say about the production background. It's pretty cool, it wasn't a high budget. I know Bill Murray also um, they thought they weren't going to be able to get him for this movie, and this was the first time they had worked. He had worked with Wes Anderson, and now he does so regularly. Is I think they're just good friends. And he really fits, I think, the Wes Anderson style, which is cool. But um, he agreed to work at... Um, I forget what they call it, but it's it's like when there's not enough to pay you and you work for basically nothing just because you're such a fan of the script, which is what Bill Murray was. So he made something like $9,000, as what I read on Wikipedia, I believe, for making this movie, which is... I mean that's no, nah, that's nothing. That's like very, very low paying. Oh yeah. Definitely. So, I thought that was interesting. And, uh, at some point the studio refused to pay for a scene that never got made where, um, uh, Herman and Max were flying in a helicopter and, Bill Murray wrote a, gave a blank check to Wes Anderson to fill out whatever he needed when the studio wouldn't support them so that they could get through with that aspect of the movie. It never happened, but Bill Murray was a huge supporter of this, and I think that's why he's been in so many movies is because this was where their relationship started, and he's saw the potential in it. So, yeah, I guess that's that's all I have to say about the production background, but I found a lot of cool stuff that I thought you might find interesting.
1: Yeah, that was interesting, some of that stuff.
0: Cool. Okay, well, um, I can do a plot summary. I've written one out and uh fantastic
1: concise as possible
0: (laughs) (laughs) it is there's like 12 little one sentence bullets here that i think can sum up the movie really well and
1: well yeah this one doesn't have a huge plot in it either i wouldn't say so
0: yeah and you could talk about so much in this movie but like it's a lot of like relational stuff yeah it's not about
1: the plot again in this one either so yeah totally
0: okay so i'll just go ahead and read this out here so Here we go. Clever, heartsick, and melancholy Max Fisher, played by Jason Schwartzman, is an overly extracurricular and underly academic student at a private school called Rushmore. Max meets Herman Bloom, a depressed industrialist millionaire living in disassociation after Bloom speaks at an assembly, quite funnily, I want to add in the middle here. Did you enjoy that speech he gave where Max was the only person he stood up and started clapping?
1: Oh, yeah. Because he that was talking was funny. about the
0: rich kids. Yeah. That's like, yeah. it's probably one of the funniest <laughs> scenes in the movie. He was just like, he was like, kick them while they're down or something. Just It's just, it's an amazing, like, 3 sentence speech that he has typed out. And it's so funny. And it perfectly captures his character from the forefront. You know exactly who he is. And I love it. But so Max is impressed by Herman's uh, success and the speech. And Herman is also interested in Max's confident persona once they get talking. So they start to become good friends. Here a little bit later, not much longer, uh, Max falls in love with Rosemary Cross, who's played by Olivia Williams, who does a great job, Isaac. Do you not agree? Um, yeah, she was good. Don't know. Is she in other stuff?
1: I'm not. I've never I'm not familiar with any of her other work if she is. I've never heard yeah. of her and i would never seen her before.
0: Me either, and I feel like she does a really good job at this movie. But she is a widowed teacher who arrives at Rushmore as a new first-grade instructor. So, Max uh, immediately attempts to woo her as much as possible, and is at first humor, but then pushed away by Miss Cross, as he refers to her, as she says she can't date a child or a student, and their age gap is too big, and it just doesn't make sense, and he doesn't really get it. So, Bloom uh, knows about this, and advises Max against the idea, but ends up falling in love with Rosemary and after spying her, uh, uh, spying on her, teaching at a park, which is also really funny. I love that scene where he's behind the tree with the shades on. Uh, the two start dating in secret though. So a little while later, Max is informed by his best friend as an act of a revenge because he claimed to have relations with that friend's mother. And that friend is Dirk Calloway, who is Dennis the Menace. Isaac, did you recognize Oh, that?
1: wow. I did not get that.
0: <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. But anyways, uh, he claims to have int- been intimate with his friend's mother. And so as an act of revenge, his friend reveals that uh, Herman, Max's new friend, is dating the girl that he's in love with. So, Max Oh, the Herman little kid. Oh,
1: yeah, that's yeah. so weird. No, I didn't get Isn't that. that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> I almost I thought was, you meant the Irish an bully and I was like, what? <laughs> no,
0: no, no, yeah, no, 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 yeah. OK, so Max and Herman engage in a prank war following that because they're at odds in which Max uh, causes Herman's divorce, directly confronts his wife about the uh, scandal and then is arrested. Max is arrested for cutting the brakes on Herman's car and almost causing him to run into a number of students at Rushmore. So Max eventually gets. Uh, Gives up on the prank war and meets Bloom at his mother's grave, which is extremely important. And we'll talk about that. And he explains that revenge no longer matters because even if he wins, Rosemary would still be in love with Bloom. So Max becomes depressed, stops attending school, becomes reclusive, and then starts to accept his father a little bit more at his father's barbershop and is an apprentice there. Uh, Months later, Max and Bloom, uh, Herman Bloom, reconcile at a hospital. And Bloom explains that Rosemary had stopped seeing him because she's still in love with the dead man. And Max hears this and decides to for some reason give one final attempt to win her back and um, fakes having his car or his bike hit by a car and puts fake blood on his forehead and ends up in uh, her house tries to kiss her she notices the fake blood and tells him that you and Herman deserve each other you are both immature children so. This point, Max realizes it's hopeless and decides to make it his mission to win Rosemary back for Bloom and ends up writing a play. And he invites both Herman and Rosemary to the performance for this play he wrote. And the play is dedicated to his father, to Rosemary's dead husband, and also written in a very obvious manner to show respect for Herman and their friendship. And he makes sure that Rosemary and Herman are sitting together at this play. And in the end, um, they both seem to have reconciled. And Max is finally dating the girl, Margaret, who I didn't mention yet but had been obviously interested in him throughout and who he'd become friends with at the new school. So that's the plot. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Yeah, That hit right? all the high points that I could think of. So yeah, I definitely totally forgot about Margaret and it is kind of important, but that's, that's fine. It's whatever. It's a side all story. Right, so Yeah. So um, I guess I'll move on to themes. I um, have some theme stuff to talk about here. I definitely want to hear what you have to say, Isaac. So we can go ahead and admit that you didn't like this movie that much. No, I did
1: not like it at all. Really?
0: Didn't like it at all. Okay. So I have these themes that I can talk about and some of them get pretty like heavy and they're really deep, but I also want to hear your perspective about it a lot because I'm curious more so why you didn't like it. And I know the themes that I'll bring up are easy to grasp. And then I want to hear your side. So I want to make sure that you get a lot of your opinion here, but I'll go ahead and say, um, Bill Murray put out a pretty good quote about the movie and why he decided to play along with it and wanted to be in it so bad. And he said it did a great job showing the struggle to retain civility and kindness in the face of extraordinary pain. And I felt a lot of that in my life, which if you know anything about Bill Murray, he's kind of crazy. And that like makes sense to me. Like I would assume that that's totally true. And I think that says a lot about what goes on in this movie because essentially everyone in Rushmore is playing at kind of being a grown up, but in reality, they're all grieving children. So adults. Well, that and was my children are shown to be on the same level.
1: Yeah. That was my issue with the movie. I just was annoyed by most of the people. So I had a hard time with that, but <laughs> I appreciated that they were complex yeah, characters, it just... <laughs> but it was just like, especially Max, I was just so annoyed. And I it was like, there were times when like, the teacher, whenever she like broke up with Max or whenever she was like, look, it's not going to like happen, I was annoyed that it was even remotely like, I was like, it's a kid. And I would be like, if I was a teacher, I would be like, look, you're obsessed with me. You need to go away. Like, go, Like, you know what I mean? They almost like humored it. And like, it was like, I don't know, like he was an adult that had a crush on her and she just didn't reciprocate his feelings. So we were even like remotely discussing possibilities. But I'm like, uh that's a kid and a kid that goes to the school that she teaches at. so i'm like uh who cares (laughs) yeah so a little
0: bit about why i think they shove these characters together and they interact the way they do and it is it is there's there's an unrealistic aspect for sure to the relationship that you just mentioned and i find that to be the like fantasy side of this story that makes it fun to watch because it's just like it would never ever go down this way but the way i see that being the reason it is is because uh let's see like i guess each person so between um rosemary and herman and max they each are trying to kind of like hold on to something and simultaneously let go of moments of like heartbreak essentially and you know it's just uh they have like a collective grief that they're all attached to that they see in each other And that they need each other for different reasons. And I think that drives them to not push each other away, even when it's weird for different reasons. And she also mentions directly in the movie that she sees her dead husband in him. And I think that's the closest she can get to feeling like that, even though the relationship would never work out. Like, they're like, you know, he's like, do you think he would have built an aquarium for It's you? like and having him like, there, yeah. even though he's not. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's just, I think that's the part of it where she doesn't want to crush him either. Like, she's, I mean, she's nice. And she's messed up. And that's like, that's as close as she can get to, like, reminding herself of, like, what she misses so badly. And then, um, you know, Max, the entire time, well, I'll bring up Herman first. Max is, is important. But Herman obviously just hates the situation he's in and needs needs an escape and he sees that in max being the child that he doesn't have like the son that he wants that does you know is spontaneous and does cool things and isn't just like a douchebag wrestler that you know won't let him in the car and just constantly drives him berserk and doesn't doesn't plan to do anything cool or try and strive for anything in particular at all and then also he like that i think that's his whole family life is just like caused him to disassociate and be disappointed and he sees rosemary as the escape from that So because they're both sad for their own different reasons. So they have to like, they console each other, basically, is how they end up, you know, together for that little bit of time. But then the third one, so Max's little story that I want to bring up here, and this is something that's so subtly inserted into this movie and is the direct effect of how Max is acting the whole time. And they never really directly confront it. There's no conversation about it almost it's the fact that his mother had died and he's trying to deal with that. And he obviously is not in a place where he wants to deal with it. And that's why he's been pushed away from his father probably is because he's reminded of that. And that's why he's like in all, like that's why he's acting the way he is. He's acting out. He's acting like an adult. He's just like, he's just in such a bad place and in his own bad place, similar to Herman and Rosemary. And I think, I think it's a really beautiful portrait in a lot of ways and how they interact to you know deal with that loss between each other and it just you know i think it's really subtly there's a lot of subtle details from the characters like the way their faces look to like their body language a lot of the times to actually what they say and what the conversations are about and the the interesting dry sense of humor and just the You know, the quotable, the amazingly quotable things the characters say that just seem like they just all seem like touching one liners to me in like a way that is unforgettable. So that's kind of like, that's the whole thing about the struggle to retain civility and kindness in the face of extraordinary pain. Because I see that this movie is basically just a portrait of extraordinary pain and people dealing with it together. Did you gather that from the movie?
1: Um, I saw that. To me, the film is almost too subtle with some of it. Because now that you're, like, talking about it, I see more of those aspects, but it's almost like I didn't get any, of like, parts of that at first, so...
0: Yeah, I totally, I, you know, haven't had any of these situations in my life, but for some reason, the way that he portrays their depression, essentially, is something Mm -hmm. that I highly, highly understand. And I think um, the people that are really into this movie and write long scholarly articles about... You know, connecting theater and depression and um, what's what's the word I'm looking for overcoming that what's that's the, the I don't know what the word is, but there's there's people that get it in the same way I do. And I think he really tapped into something here that goes further than possibly he even thought he could. That makes it like highly personable and relatable to me and the people that are really into this movie. But I do think it's so subtle. To the point that i'd seen it probably four or five times and i learned new things when i watch it every single time and when i read about it to you know get prepared for this i learned way more than i ever thought about in the movie like it's mm-hmm. it, there's there's four sure things that wes anderson didn't intend that i think lined up in this movie to like not be a beautiful accident but more so like a beautiful coincidence and so in the fact that i don't think he could have even planned it to mean as much as it does in a way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So that's and I think I think whoever's in the film registry probably recognizes that in the way that I do and I don't see everyone agreeing with that. It's definitely like a subjective thing. Depends on you and depends on what you think about that and you mm-hmm. know heartbreak and loss and grief and your anyone's life, but I do think it deserves that and I think there are probably a lot of people that feel the way that I feel about it and that's that's the only reason it's in the registry even if it's so dense. That like it doesn't it may not make sense to people and you have to like, you know, you shouldn't have to research a movie to gather what you should gather out of it and see all those connections. But yeah, I agree. I with think that. it's really I think it's beautiful that it does. So that's that's why this movie is so high on my list.
1: Maybe yeah. it's just maybe I didn't realize that the movie was as challenging as it is. And so if I had watched it with maybe a different mindset or even like looking for something different then. I yeah, might I have think, understood it maybe better, I guess. Yeah.
0: I think, well, I think you're just in the boat that may not relate to the way that the characters well, and that's, are dealing with Well, story. it's
1: also Wes Anderson because to me, I have never, I've seen several Wes Anderson movies and I really just, quite frankly, don't get any of them. Yeah. And no, it could just, totally I, mean, people, I mean, people connect to, uh, we've talked about this, people connect to different movies or they connect to any piece of art really in different ways. So it's entirely possible that this, that Wes Anderson, his style, his stories, is just not something that I connect with as easily, um, which is fine, you know. Um, it happens. So, but yeah, I just a lot of it I don't really get. I like I've seen at least Moonrise Kingdom, um, and I wasn't a fan of that either. Um, yeah, I've so seen Fantastic Mr. Fox, and Fantastic Mr. Fox is decent, but I, uh, uh, this I still it's not. A movie I ever feel like I need to watch again or I even enjoyed that much so
0: yeah so I'm glad you brought that up because this is a good segue into my actual next point about this movie which is about like what makes it special as far as the Wes Anderson catalog goes and why I feel similarly about the movies that you just mentioned even though they're really visually stunning and like interesting in that way I think they're missing a piece of heart and basically, I think there's two fans of Wes Anderson. There's like old ones and new ones because there are people that talk about loving those movies that you mentioned, and I never really got it. It just seemed like some aspect that I saw from like Rushmore or like um, I think maybe the Royal... Is it the Royal Tenenbaums? Was Tenenbaums? That Royal
1: Tenenbaums, that yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, or like Bottle Rocket that is missing from the new stuff from like basically then on. And it's just... It's something about the balance of style and substance that I think Wes Anderson has completely lost control of. Mm. So it's almost like like a like a visual like the eccentric nature of his visuals, I would say, overshadow yeah. maybe the emotional sure. uh, resonance, <laughs> you know, the emotional state, the emotional quality of the film, and mm-hmm. in this case, it actually plays to what makes it beautiful as opposed to overshadowing it so i see rushmore and the first two uh, that movies, makes sense yeah wes anderson films is doing that so much better and it's really sad to me that wes anderson has become like what it is now but you know uh that's i think that's just the way it is you know maybe there's not enough to talk about and he can't really like put enough into it and so he relies on the visuals or maybe he just thinks that the visuals are so important now that he doesn't get to create that emotional resonance that i see in these of in the the earlier movies but it it could be a lot of things but that's that's something that i think is really true about wes anderson and why i understand when people say they don't like his newer movies because even when i like them i don't think any of them will ever be saved in the national film archive or anything like that because i just don't think i don't think they're worth it i don't i don't think on the same level sure And that also plays into the fact that I think this movie might be a beautiful accident because I don't think, I don't think he could, if he tried reach Mm -hmm. uh, the level of what this accomplishes for certain people.
1: So interesting. Yeah, that is interesting.
0: Yeah. So uh, that's about all I have to talk about. Um, I put a lot of time into developing those two little points and there's definitely more themes in this movie, but I think those are the big ones and talk about why it's so important to me and like why it's, you know, well respected as like kind of like a cult hit, and then even sure like on, a, on a film critical level. So, if there's anything else you want to say about it, you can go ahead. You can tear it to shreds. I want. To, I kind of want to hear. No, it.
1: I don't. I mean, I'm not going to tear it to shreds because I, I'm. I guess just remo- like I understand. Um, I think what it's trying to do. I understand that it's mostly successful on all the parts that it sets out to do. It's not something that I connect with, so I just have a. There's sort of just this big. Space in between, like I between I can't even hardly. I mean, I can I can discuss it. I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to say, but I just <laughs> didn't particularly enjoy it. And you know, there's nothing wrong with not having enjoyed it. But there's nothing wrong with it or anything bad per se. Uh, I just you know, it's just not my cup of tea. So uh, I and, I mean, there are things I liked about it. I think Bill Murray is really funny and his. Humor goes really well, I think, with what Wes Anderson was trying to do here, and the movie was funny. I actually did think it was funny at some parts. I just was so annoyed by Max, <laughs> I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, that well, I because... that I was
1: very distracted by that, and I don't particularly like Jason Schwartzman actually either. Um, yeah, I don't think I've ever really enjoyed one of his performances. It's just not something that I find particularly funny or enjoyable but um so yeah i was mostly just annoyed by max the entire movie so a lot of it just went past me i guess because it was hard for me to move beyond uh that aspect of the movie well
0: yeah it's funny i mean he's like uh they call it pest as hero which is like kind of like a—it's a pretty common Wes Anderson thing because he is—he's mm-hmm. horribly annoying. He's like monomaniacal and like makes people uncomfortable, and you know he's off-putting. The more he tries to like make, make people happy, and when people like yeah, and like his well, goals,
1: he throws them aside. And so many times he did all of those things knowingly, which was also—I I guess it's just because his character. There was so much about his character that was distinctly unlikable. And it wasn't even that he wasn't doing those... Like, he was doing those things accidentally. It was most of the time that he was doing it on purpose. I'm like, you're just an unlikable person. So I'm not enjoying the story about you because really, to me, a lot of it was reaping what he sowed. So...
0: Yeah. So it's it's also... Sort of like you
1: deserve to have bad things happen because a lot of times you weren't treating people in a good way. Which, again, makes for a boring movie. Of course, there has to be a plot... To the movie and the fact that he's doing those things is the plot of the movie to some extent so
0: well yeah i think i think something we could talk about other than the depression so just between max and rosemary taking herman bloom out of it here is the reason you didn't like him and i think that's because it's like it's like toxic adolescent love it's like a really good portrayal yeah. of like a teenage boy obsessed with having sex with this teacher and not like not actually like knowing anything about himself or about like why he's choosing to love, but like that being a result of the depression. And then him, when he becomes in love, like some people do, he's like, he becomes impossible. He's an impossible person. He's like self-involved and oblivious and malicious and like any other like bad trait that you can think for someone who is like toxic and in love. And yeah, well maybe that was
1: also what I didn't get because I was like, clearly this person is, I was like, Max is an intelligent person. Clearly he's, Yeah, you know very successful at a lot of things he tries to do he purposely doesn't do well in school because he doesn't seem to care about academics per se but then for him to flip around and for some reason think that he could possibly have a relationship with an older teacher it was just so impossible to me that somebody might somebody who seemed so smart could entertain those notions was strange i thought or outrageous I i guess
0: I never thought she even entertained it, but was... Used no, to well,
1: she didn't, but he was, I mean...
0: Well, yeah, I think he's a kid. I think I think he's portrayed as... I mean, he's 15, like, he doesn't know any better, and he's just, like, he's acting out because of what's happened to him, and, you know, it is, like, I can see... I can definitely see, like, you not enjoying the pestis... Well, it, didn't, it
1: just seemed... He seemed like such an adult at some parts that I was... It would have... To me, he needed... The character needed to be more almost childlike and immature in other ways to where i would have accepted that so i see that
0: critique i see that criticism because it kind of makes you wonder like when and how he's going to grow up and why it happens the way it does when he's so adept in other areas of his life like it just well and it it is that's a theme
1: that's kind of a theme that it feels like wes anderson uh uses a lot too is children who are really adults or that yeah. almost come off as adults like yeah definitely. too smart or too grown up for their own good in a way or mm-hmm. like uh as the audience we're supposed to see this person who is a child but that really almost comes off as an adult and that yeah. to me is very strange i've never understood particularly that aspect of it but
0: okay fair so okay that's uh I guess we can wrap it up now. So, what are your what are your final thoughts here? Do you have a rating for it? Do you have like a an overall summary of everything for what you felt I thought mean, it's, of
1: Rushmore? it's a decent movie. I don't feel the need to ever watch it again personally, but uh, <laughs> and I just I feel like now I need to watch all of the Wes Anderson movies just so that I can see if I can enjoy one of them <laughs> in some. Yeah, definitely start,
0: start. But I like fanta- fa- fantastic.
1: Fantastic Mr. Fox is okay, so. But I have, I mean, I've wanted to watch Royal Tannenbaums for a long time. I've never gotten to it. Um, That one, I think
0: that one is Wes Anderson in a form that you would appreciate more than this one for sure.
1: Yeah, it kind of seems like that, but, but we'll see. I'll report back if I ever get to any more of them.
0: (laughs) Okay, cool. I guess it's about time to wrap it up for this week.
1: Yeah, I think so. Is
0: it? All right, well, thank you, everyone, for listening so much. As always, you can find us online on social media, Facebook and Twitter at PBMC Podcast, or email us at pbmcpodcast at gmail.com. Send us questions, send us notes, send us important opinions about what we missed and didn't miss so we can go back and talk about all the things that we miss on a regular basis. And join us next week for Isaac. What's the pick for next week?
1: Um, I think let me see. I think I it's my choice and I think I have decided to go ahead with uh, Up in the Air.
0: Up in the Air. Which is so join us. sort of a.
1: I. it's interesting that we it's interesting that we've watched Lady Bird and then Rushmore and then Up in the Air because all three of those I feel like have similar uh their directors have similar styles almost and sort of this yeah. mix of comedy and drama and um uh, and the way that they treat character. So I guess it's interesting that we're going through sort of this almost not quite a series. We didn't call it or anything, but they have similar ideas between those three. So.
0: Yeah, it's like the exaggerated real life human indie <laughs> series. That yes, somehow it, it is upon. kind of. <laughs> <laughs> all right cool well um i'm excited for that um thanks everyone for listening this far as we uh as we do every week thank you and yeah um that's it join us next week i'm eli i'm isaac and this has been the club